A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of law or by believing, or by your believing what was heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I'm going to unmask. Now the CDC says I can do that. I'm going to invite you to be seated if you are not already seated. <laughs> and I'm going to wish all of you the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. All right. I'm moving you at home because I want you to be able to see what I'm about to do. So everybody, hang on. First thing I have to do is I have to tell you a story. It is based on a story that I have heard. It resembles a true story. There was a church in Southern California which was very near to the beach. This happened in the late 60s and in the early 70s. At this church, they would keep their doors open during the day just to give water, um, maybe a little bit of food, or sometimes just shelter from the hot sun for anybody who might be passing by. Now, sometimes it was tourists. At other times, it was uh, people just going about their daily business. And sometimes it was people that lived in the culture uh, that some of you might be familiar with. It was certainly uh, not around during uh, my day, but the, uh, the, the hippie culture where people just kind of lived off the land and sought peace and harmony. And this church from time to time began to be filled with hippies, with young people who were just relaxing, 
getting some shelter, getting some water, and getting some rest. And they would sit all around the sanctuary. They would, uh, they would sit in the narthex, and this was a major part of the ministry of this congregation. Well, an annual meeting rolled around, and uh, I don't think there are too many of you who enjoy annual meetings, but the annual meeting for this congregation rolled around, and there were some people in the church who were concerned. People talked about the deterioration on their building from constantly having people come in and out, the, the resources that they were providing, the, the bills that they were paying to keep the place air-conditioned. And someone brought up, you know, we had just spent so much money to get this beautiful red carpet for our sanctuary. Anyone been around a church that was built in the, <laughs> in the 70s with that, with that dark red carpet? We spent so much money to get this beautiful carpet laid down and, and people are just coming in from off the beach and they're and they're and they're sitting down and they're and they're getting sand and all sorts of other dirt and it's just you know it's so difficult to see that when we are spending so many resources to keep this place beautiful and nice and so they argued about this at the annual meeting whether they would have these open door times it was the very next morning that the pastor came to church and heard a sound that sounded like ripping. Uh -oh. <laughs> he was there to find the janitor with carpet cutters tearing up that beautiful red <laughs> carpet saying, well, pastor, I heard those people yesterday. We wouldn't want our guests to make this carpet dirty. We wouldn't want this to be a barrier to keep people from this place. Now, I know Helen's on altar guild, and I know your heart's probably breaking internally hearing this story, right? And it's, I don't think we tell this story in order to make people feel bad who want things at church to be nice. But I think we tell, I like to tell this story to talk about where our priorities are and where our priorities should be with what we have been given, what we, some of us have donated money and others, time and others' talent. We should be focused on what all these things are for. Because I tell you, the person in this story who most resembles uh, uh, Jesus is this janitor because, brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to tear up the carpet, to tear up those things that are barriers between people and God's house, to tear up those things that are barriers between people and one another, and especially to tear up barriers between people and God. You know the story that Matthew told of the crucifixion of Jesus, what happened in the temple as soon as Jesus died? The curtain, that Donna knows it, the curtain that was in the Holy of Holies, which was the sacred place, the place that where only the priests could go, the place where God lived, that curtain was torn up. 
And so that is where we can always find Jesus. You may have heard it, right? Whenever people, whenever you draw a line between yourself and another person, where's Jesus going to go? Right across that line. This was a lesson that the early church learned early on. The first believers in Jesus were Israelites. They were people who remembered King David. They were people who described themselves and were described as the outside described to the outside world as Jews. They had special traditional things that they did to mark themselves as a separate people. They had special things that they did to honor their traditions. They had special things that they carried in their bodies. I don't want to go into too much <laughs> discussion about what it is, but circumcision was this mark that Jewish men carried to show that they had been chosen by God, to show that they had been made into sons of Abraham. And so when all these Gentiles began to believe in Jesus, all these people who were not Jewish, all the people who did not know where to sit at the Seder meal, these people that did not know the stories, they started to believe in Jesus. Some people got worried. They're not getting circumcised. They're not following the dietary patterns that we follow. They're, they're following God in a way that doesn't show how special they are. And so the church began to be very fussy about carpeting. <laughs> and it was circumcision. And so what Paul is saying here to Gentile Christians who had been told by various preachers that in order to be fully incorporated into God's family, they had to consider being circumcised, which um, I'm not sure how well that went over with the men of that congregation, but I digress. But when they, when they had asked Paul about this, Paul, you heard his tone. He said, oh, you fools, that's carpeting. That's gone. There is nothing that stands in the way of you and God because Jesus has torn up all of the carpet. Now, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to talk, about all of, uh, to talk about all of the ways that the, um, how shall I say, <laughs> that the church today has found other varieties of circumcision in order to draw people against one another, right? The, uh, the most common way, uh, I, have a, I have a very good friend who's an ELCA pastor in the suburbs of Atlanta, and he told me we were talking just about, about ministry, and I went, well, it's got to be uh, a lot of fun to do ministry right in the heart of the Bible Belt. And he said, you know what, it's easier than I thought it would be because there are so many churches that make people sign covenants. People were asking him about that. You know, they were asking, where's your covenant? And he was you know, talking about Abraham and Moses and <laughs> the Old Testament. And they went, no, 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 where's your covenant? Because so many other churches in his area, instead of uh, just doing like a new member class, they say, well, if you want to join this church, you have to sign this covenant, that you'll live in a certain way, that you'll act in a certain way, right? And you would imagine some of these are, are pretty innocuous. Some of them might get 
pretty specific. Some of you might have these experiences in other churches where you're told, well, if you really want to be a Christian, well, then you better do X, Y, and Z. You better not dance. You better not drink. You better not play cards. Moving forward, right, you better uh, dress like us, act like us, think like us, right? And they clothe it all in the Bible. But isn't it always coming down to control? Isn't it always coming down to, well, I'm only comfortable worshiping with people who are from my tribe, who look like me, who act like me, who think like me, who vote like me, right? Doesn't it always come down to that? And it's always the way that churches put carpet down in order to keep people, thank you, Dr. Lee, in order to keep people from coming to that baptismal font, uh, I, I heard a story. I think it was Brandy Carlisle. I might not, um, I might not have this right, but but she had been moved by the Spirit to become a Christian later in life. I'll try to keep different how to do that. And she was, uh, she went to this church. She was about to get baptized, and the pastor called her into the into the office and said, "You know, I've been thinking and praying, but I just can't baptize you." because of your lifestyle. She's a member of the LGBT community. And that uh, I don't know where her journey is. Certainly uh, she was Christian adjacent in the interview I heard. But man, we think about all these ways that the church has put down this kind of, this kind of carpeting to keep people from being baptized. Right? And even more... It's very easy for us in the ELCA, and boy, have we had some fights about it, but it's easy for us in the ELCA to say, hey, look, we've removed all this. We're open. All are welcome, right? We're not like this, but I tell you what, uh, in certain ways, is the church truly as welcoming as it should be? Do, Do people feel always comfortable coming into our churches, right? There are all sorts of other things at work. We've definitely worked on some of these things conscientiously in this congregation. There aren't a lot of churches, places where maybe you don't have a certain amount of money you wouldn't be comfortable working in, right? Aren't there some churches that worship with certain cultural understandings about uh, worship and and about uh, what spirituality is, right? Uh, Martin Luther King said the most segregated hour in America is on Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters, that's still true. I also have a friend who works for the churchwide office in St. Louis who um, was a single mother throughout most of her life. And this is somebody who works in the churchwide office, brothers and sisters. And she worked so hard to find a church where she and her son felt welcome. Because so much in the church related to ministry uh, <laughs> assumes right a mother and a father, and she was never made to feel welcome. Right. So it's easy to say, hey, we've got this wonderful open theology. We've got to do the work and say, where is it that we are sometimes, without even knowing it, putting these barriers up from for people who want to come to not only know God, but to know God with us and be together with us in our faith. Now, not only 
are, does the church put up carpet? Not only does the church put up a barrier, I think there is a lot of ways that we put up barriers between ourselves and the church, even ourselves and God. I consider it a privilege that I spend my week ministering to people who are not usually involved in church life. Overwhelmingly, they are believers in God. It's very rare that I get somebody who is an out-and-out materialist atheist or even somebody who's uh, managed to completely reject Western religion. One of them, by the way, was a patient I had two years ago, a very faithful Episcopalian, wanted to read a poem at her sister's funeral and was told no because it didn't fit in with the liturgy. So after running into that barrier, she uh, became a Buddhist and actually became a respected teacher, spent some time in Japan. So, uh, you know, the Christian church closed one door, but she found another open one. Anyway, most people, (laughs) I, I hear about these barriers every day. Most people are believers in God, but they don't come to church, right? They'll tell me a lot. One thing they'll do is they'll complain about you guys. I go to church and it's all a bunch of hypocrites, right? It's all a bunch of people that all they care about is their own, right, their own relationships, their own issues, their own worries. They act like they're so good and holy, but really they're not, right? That's one thing I hear. I'll hear from from others, including a very brilliant physician I worked with. You know, I never really learned how any of this impacted my life. It was all about giving money or doing work or one thing or another. I was never really told how any of this impacts with my life. Steve Jobs was an example of that. As a young child, he was raised in a Lutheran church. Did you know this? He was raised in a Lutheran church and went to his pastor because his heart was so touched with all the suffering in the world. And the pastor basically shrugged his engagement off saying, hey, look, you just have to trust in God. And then a very young Steve Jobs said, okay, this is religion. It's just uninterested with the real problems of the world, right? It's another thing that keeps people from church, right? I am too much of a sinner. I am too much of a bad person. As I heard one uh, musician say at a rock concert, I would rather go to hell because all the fun people are down there. All of that (laughs) church stuff is too boring, right? There's a barrier, right? Here's another barrier. Uh, this uh, <laughs> this time is too late for me to come to church, or it's too early, or right there's some reality about the church. It's too far of a drive. You, you name it, right? There's a practical reality, and that matters. And I have compassion for that because it's very hard. Being in a young family and bringing kids to church is tough, right? There's a barrier, right? <laughs> Not everyone has an amazing wife like me. You you. You've ended that barrier, right? There's so many other barriers, right? If you're a if you're a young person, 
Uh, that for me, when I was young, I couldn't stand church. One, because it was boring. And two, I had so much going on in my life. I was trying to get into college. I was trying to get that application padded as much as I could. I basically only came around when it was time to do a service project so I could put that on my application. And I was reading really good books by really great thinkers. I was doing debate, and, and uh, it, it took us a while to find a church that actually engaged me intellectually. So for, for young people, there's so much going on in their lives. And man, when you get older, oh my gosh, and you have no purpose, and you don't know where your life is going, you don't know what you're called to do, you're trying to maybe get married or start a family, you're trying to maybe keep a job, um, hearing the stories from the young adults in this congregation about just trying to find work, trying to find a place to land, a place to find somewhere to be hold on to, to hold on to, and then and then you you come to church and you get preached at, well, you got to remember the poor, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that, there's people suffering, you know, do more, more, more. When you're trying to... When you're trying to figure your life out, man, that's a barrier. Not that any of that is wrong, but sometimes it just lands on ears where it's like, I don't know where I'm going to pay rent. It's tough for me to worry about, right? It's tough for me to worry about AIDS in Africa on top of that problem, right? And then I've already talked about what it's like when you get older and you have uh, and you have kids and it's hard to find a place. Um, it's hard to find a place or even the time. Lord, the time to go to church, and especially if you're younger in a congregation and they want you to do stuff. And we have so many people that are amazing at doing things. And, you know, I talk to some other people, and they're getting older. And it's tough to get to church, especially I've, I've cared for so many saints, and I thank God I'm in this position where somebody has Alzheimer's or somebody has another disease. That might be keeping you at home. Thank God you're here with us through this format. But when people get older, it's so hard to get them to church or even be be part of the of the community and you feel that lack and 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 we try to still uh, make people feel welcome and bring them in but man in this town brothers and sisters there are so many people that come from other parts of the country and it's double hard because they're trying to replace that kind of community that they've had and it can be so hard to do right and then you get older and weaker and then you um you uh, you get really sick, right? Your sickness limits the ability to, you're, you're able to get to church. You're you're dealing with a terminal illness and all the things that you thought might um, might uh, you know might give you comfort. They're not really giving you the same kind of comfort. You're just dealing with all that in fear, or or you might have some grief, and then everything in society is just pulling at you telling you that you need to do more and more. If you're, if you're a woman, society is always telling you that you need to look in a certain way, right? The, the, the patriarchy is hard, right? If, if, you're a, if you're a man, all the assumptions of toxic masculinity and, and toughness and all of the things that you are expected to perform, Right? All of these things are barriers not only between yourself and the church and others, they're barriers between you and yourself sometimes. And the church is just, and, the, and society is just pulling and pulling you away from God and just making you think about yourself, whether you are good enough, whether you're loving enough, whether you are on the right side of certain causes, right? I talk about all this. Dr. Lee, let's get a, let's get a, a close-up of this. There's a lot of carpet that keeps us from faith. 
right? Even beyond how hard it is to believe in a being that you've never seen, who only reveals that being through stories from an ancient Near Eastern civilization that you need a postgraduate degree to even begin to approach to understand. No, you don't, by the way, but that's certainly what this church teaches with its emphasis on seminary education, right? Uh, everything is just kind of creating this carpet that is keeping people from Jesus. But you know what Jesus does? Gives us wonderful tools. Gives us grace. Gives us forgiveness. You know what Jesus does the most and most powerfully? Jesus gives us one another. The tears that Jesus makes in all the barriers that are between us. He makes them right there in his own body. And the life of the church is the life of the Spirit, but that does not always mean, and not that you can't experience the Holy Spirit on your own. The Spirit that Jesus gives us is the way that we share that good news with one another. That's certainly our hope, right? That when you come to church, you hear not just about Abraham or Moses or Jesus or some biblical figure. Hopefully, you can hear something about yourself. And then hopefully, you can take part in a meal that Jesus gives you. Right? That's good. But I think even better stuff starts to happen. I think when we're here, especially those of us, if you're like me and you don't live in this neighborhood, we meet people, and even better, my children meet people who they would otherwise never get to meet. They hear about other stories than the ones that they are accustomed to. You start to either get thankful, you start to understand, you start to get compassion. And man, don't we have such an amazing life in one another. We have gotten to know each other. The different walks of life that come through this building, aren't they amazing? Aren't the relationships that we have built unlike any other relationships that, that you might make outside in the world with the people that live in your neighborhood or work where you do? This is good exercise. And then... There are times when we go through hardship, when we go through things that otherwise would create carpeting, and we get the love and support of one another. Maybe it's a phone call from the pastor. Maybe somebody comes to your house with food when you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's just that conversation where somebody knows you've had a hard time and walks up to you with a hug. Maybe it's that time that one of our one of our members who lived a very difficult life came here looking for my wife, one of our youth group members, and I 
kind of was like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this today. I don't want to really talk with her or engage with her too much because I'm getting ready for worship or whatever. And, and I turned my back for one second, and the women of this congregation, five of them, surrounded her, making sure that she had enough food to eat, making sure that she had everything that she needed. It's that kind of love, that kind of love that Christ creates that removes barriers, right? This is the perspective that we need to think about faith from. The church spends so much time getting you to worry about whether you've got faith or not, right? It makes you think, well, do I really believe this? And then they throw Bible verses at you and sermons. I've been guilty of this too, right? But the real place that we talk about faith, the perspective of of faith that matters is from Jesus's perspective. Any place where Jesus is able to touch our lives and bring us together. That's what faith is. It's God's work for us. It starts when Jesus comes to you in baptism and you put on Christ for the rest of your life and that barrier is removed. It continues every time that you get this sense that Jesus is moving in your life for real. And every time someone who Jesus is moving in their life for real meets you, takes care of you, loves you, forgives you, right? That's what faith is. It doesn't live in your brain. It lives in the world. And man, brothers and sisters, it lives right here. Listen to Paul. He doesn't say, hey, we should all get along. Hey, we're all, we should all act like we're the body of Christ. You know, why aren't his hands moving? Paul doesn't say that. What does he say? Present tense. We are one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are. Say that with me. We are the body of Christ. It's done. We're the butter of Christ too. It's done. It is a done deal. It is finished. The whole story that we've been listening to since September when started with the promise that Abraham got, that story moved until right now when Jesus comes to us with all the pieces of carpet that he's torn up, that he sticks to the cross, and then frees us to be who we already are, the light of Christ in this world. We are the body of Christ. Amen.